We're on page 311, chapter 35, The Christ-like Life of Lahiri Mahashaya. Thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. In these words to John the Baptist, and in asking John to baptize him, Jesus was acknowledging the divine rights of his Guru. From a reverent study of the Bible from an oriental viewpoint and from intuitional perception, I am convinced that John the Baptist was, in past lives, the Guru of Christ. There are numerous passages in the Bible which infer that John and Jesus in their last incarnations were respectively Elijah and his disciple Elisha. A wonderful and interesting way to start this chapter, isn't it? In fact, recently some of us have just been discussing uh, how easily people take offense when we try to unite these two, and for lack of a better word, religions, but more so these two teachings, uh, that of Christ and that of Sanatan Dharma. And because we're so... I don't know, so sure that our way is right and our way is the only way that we enjoy this idea that therefore everything else is less than what we know, is inferior to what we know. And if you see the autobiography just everywhere and throughout, again and again, Yogananda Ji brings in examples and quotations and words from the Bible, from the life of Christ. Um, for several reasons, the most important of them being when he was asked why he chose to, you know, show that it was Jesus and the teachings of Krishna as one and not even any other religion. And all Master said, all our Guru said was, because that was Babaji's mission to me. So why would I try to change that if my own Param Guru tells me this is what I expect of you? That's the first thing that I'm going to do. But more importantly, to help realize and to show us that each one of us are looking for the same thing. And that's an important reality for us to attune to. Christians are not looking for something different than Hindus are looking for, than Muslims are looking for, than the Jewish people are looking for. We're all trying to experience the exact same thing. And the more we start to think of ourselves as different, wanting different things, choosing a different pathway, the harder it becomes for us to experience that one uniting reality, which is bliss. The harder it is for us to actually get to an experience of unity, of union, especially those of us who recognize that freedom means uniting, that experience of samadhi is yoga, a union with all that exists. It's like (laughs) kind of weird that (laughs) wanting that we'd create so much separation and saying, What we want to achieve, that unity, is very different from everybody else's. But it includes everybody else. If we can't unite with our fellow man, how will we unite with God? Master said, you cannot win the love of God until you have earned the love of your fellow man. And not the person next to you who's exactly like you and who agrees with everything you say. But the people who don't. And it was Christ who said to his own disciples, what's the big deal that you love your loved ones, your family, 
even the money exchangers or whoever you know even the people you dislike they also love their own family what's the big deal what's the difference between your love and theirs if you can't learn to love those that you have differences with and then to realize that in fact there's have never been any difference and it's important for us to always tune into that underlying mission of yogananda's it wasn't just let me show you all the saints i met let me show you how wonderful life can be if you practice yoga but let me show you how all streams of consciousness are trying to achieve the exact same experience that you are and then my guru gave me this particular mission so i'm using the example but then you can apply this to absolutely everything and he starts here of course talking about jesus and john the baptist many of you will have no idea you know who john the baptist is perhaps but as he says here john the baptist was jesus's guru from previous incarnations and he goes on in the next few paragraphs which i will let you read because they're just more um kind of verification from the bible itself of why that relationship is real and how that relationship has been eternal because then he comes to the eternal bond this is the next page the last paragraph the eternal bond of guru and disciple that existed between john and jesus was present also for baba ji and lahiri mahashaya again he's just trying to draw parallels to help us see that even though it's not being expressed that way in that particular teaching but the laws of god and the divine which is guru to disciple to disciple to disciple to disciple and no matter what tradition you find there will always be that communication from guru to disciple whether that's the term you use or not and that's the only way sanatan dharma has continued to remain true to remain pure in all its different forms with tender so, with tender solicitude the deathless guru swam the lithian waters that swirled between the last two lives of his chela and guided the successive steps taken by the child and then by the man lahiri mahashaya it was not until the disciple had reached his 33rd year that baba ji deemed the time to be ripe to openly re-establish the never severed link this is the third time in just the last two chapters that master has brought this thing up for the 33rd year you know just again to show us don't think about age time when you came when you didn't come how baba ji waited and timed and allowed for certain things to have taken place prior to him reestablishing that never severed link i love that word never yeah. severed link all of us no matter who you are no matter what lifetime you're living no matter if you have even a tiny bit of an inkling on the spiritual path or not you have a never severed link with your guru whoever he may be you may not even know it for a very long time there is this story uh, that yogan swami kriyananda shares about yogananda this was a very interesting statement one of yogananda's disciples left the path and sometime later swami kriyananda asked yogananda so this disciple that left the path i mean what's going to happen with him 
and he said something in the lines of, oh, he will be lost for a couple of lifetimes, but I will always watch over him until he decides to come back to me. Meaning that there, are, might, there might be a few lifetimes where we feel uh, we don't have a guru, we don't have any uh, official uh, discipleship initiation, or where we feel that life itself is our guru, and in a sense, yes, life itself is your guru, but your own guru, even though you think you don't have a guru, is still watching over you until you reach that point or that realization or that recognition that my guru has come back again into my life. I have invited him. And even though you may think you don't have anyone watching over you, even though you think you have not done or you have not taken that step, your guru is still watching over you and waiting for you until you are ready for him. And, and when I read that story of Master saying about, well, he will, you know, be for a couple lifetime, of lifetimes, you know, on his <laughs> own, but I will be watching that process and, and, and I will be invisibly, you know, in the background, just watching him, you know, going through his karma and, you know, going through whatever he has to go through until he becomes ready again for the kind of training and discipline that he will be required in order to keep uh, growing. So, yes, the guru discipleship is something that we are bound to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we never know it in certain times, but yeah. fortunately, some of us at least have gotten to the point where it's like, I want to do this again. I want to reestablish mm -hmm. this link again. Another story from the same time of Swami being a young disciple. Another disciple, I think Norman said he had a dream or a vision or something where he felt that he was with Yogananda in Lemuria. Yes. You know, just like God only knows how many thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago that was. And when Swamiji asked uh, his guru, like, is that true? Like, have we all, have I also been your disciple for like that long? And Master said, it's been a very long time. That's all I'll say. And so that very long time is probably all of eternity. It's been a very long time. We've known each other. We've been together so many times. And also for those of us who feel my guru is not in the body or I'm not getting this direct contact with him, it's been a long time. You don't need, think of it as, uh, you know, when somebody passes away from us in this life. We've been with them for so many years. Now they've passed away, but it hasn't changed your love or your relationship. And yeah, you feel that they're missing in that moment, but it's been a long time that you've known them. Now add that to lifetimes. It's been a long time. Each of us have been with our gurus. But there is no need to miss him in any physical sense. Because if that relationship is real, you in fact, it's more real to you than any relationship that exists in this life. Then, after their brief meeting near Rani Ket, the selfless master 
banished his dearly beloved disciple from the little mountain group, releasing him for an outward world mission. <laughs> that's a little strong word, yeah. banishes him. <laughs> because that's how probably Lehri Masha felt, you know, kind of banished. He wants to stay on there. And he says, nope, no, not this time. We've done this before. It's been a long time. We've been doing this for a long time. But this time, I need something else from you. I need, I'm going to ask something else of you. And interesting that it's just a very brief meeting. Yeah. I mean, we know that Lahiri Mahashaya was in Samadhi for seven days. So at least we assume that they were together for seven days. But that's all. That's all that Lahiri Mahashaya needed to assimilate, to integrate, to transform his life completely, to, to accept that from now on, his life was about to change completely his perception about being a householder, his relationship with his wife, uh, as a father with his children, at work. I mean, just imagine when you are bestowed with a new awareness of from you know, being one person to the next day to assume a responsibility and a divine mission that you perhaps thought you were never ready for it and you don't have to time to complain about it <laughs> to you know try to change things i mean it's just like suddenly you assume this new consciousness and you just take that responsibility and come back to the world and and share that and i i liked this like the meeting between the guru and disciple was just minimal, just to transfer what Babaji had to transfer to Lahiri Mahashaya. That's all. That intuitive knowledge and request, this is your mission. And sometimes many of us feel like, well, I wish I could be with my guru, you know, for a whole lifetime and living with him at the ashram. But sometimes, why do we need to spend so much time with the guru if we are not following his instructions? I mean, this is what Lahir Mahashaya only needed. Very brief encounter. Where even that transmission wasn't perhaps verbally at all was at a level of that touch. And in that touch, Babaji transferred absolutely everything that Lahiri Mahashaya needed to know from then on. So I think it's not about the time that we physically spend on the path, the time that we require to understand and listen to the Guru's voice and his guidance, is how much open are we to that moment when the Guru is telling us something and we do something with it. That will make the real self-transformation. So yeah, interesting that they only needed those, you know, days, that week perhaps. My son, I shall come whenever you need me. What mortal lover? can bestow that infinite promise. This is also a very kind of a cryptic line here. 
my son, I shall come whenever you need me. This isn't just Babaji telling Lahiri Masha. This is, again, they're creating the archetypal for what a guru and disciple relationship really is. In the beginning, Babaji says, I'll come when you want me. But then when he realizes that, no, that doesn't quite work now, does it? Because we want far too many things, don't we? No, I'll come when you need me. He changes it. You know, Let's go back. Let's edit these words out. I'll come when you need me. And for us, when I think about that in our relationship, we actually don't need the guru most of the time, the way we experience life. So he doesn't come. For those of us who says, where's my guru? Why aren't I feeling him? Because we've not needed him yet. You know, our idea of need is I'm in trouble and, you know, I really need you. But that's not need. Need is when there is nothing else I want but you. That's a need. We need air to breathe. That's a need. But we don't need him to come and soothe us. We don't need him to make it easy for us. We don't need him to just, you know, clear out all the thorns from our path. We don't need a lot of these things. And so when we call upon him in those moments of need and we're unable to truly feel him, and that's why it takes so long because the moments where we actually need our guru, where our heart's so pure, I want only thee, those are so tiny. Maybe it comes once in a lifetime. Maybe it doesn't even come at all. And therefore, they can't come. I'll come whenever you need me. That's the immortal promise the masters make. And each of us have to ask that question. Do I really need? Am I in that moment of absolute? There's nothing else I want, need, ask for only you then the guru will come no problem at all so we have to really understand that those subtleties of the guru disciple relationship because otherwise we just make it up as any other relationship that it should serve me why isn't it serving me you know what's happening over here you promised i gave myself to you and now what's happening why are, why isn't life shaping out to be the way i want it to be and that's how sometimes we approach this relationship unknown to society in general a great spiritual renaissance began to flow from a remote corner of banaras just as the fragrance of flowers cannot be suppressed so lahiri mahashaya quietly living as an ideal householder could not hide his innate glory slowly from every part of india the devotee bees sought the divine nectar of the liberated master. Isn't that sweet? Just how magnetism mm. works on its own. Nothing he had to do. You know. Just sit there and <laughs> meditate, be himself. And do his work. Yeah, being himself. <laughs> Just and... go about. But that transformation that Narayani was talking about, when magnetism shifts, that's it. That's all we truly need in order for life mm. to begin to revolve around us from that center of this is my energy field and so the entire universe readjusts to what your energy field is right now and when Lahiri Mahasaya's energy field shifted that's it there's nothing else he needed to do in order to hasten or speed this process up the devotee bees it's like the moment Lahiri Mahasaya descended from Rani Ket Ping, 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 you know, all across India, little lights were probably going on. It's like something's shifted. 
Suddenly in people's heart, a desire is born for God. Suddenly householders everywhere were awakening to the reality that I want something more. I don't think this is all my life is about. And that was it. Imagine that, these little kind of tiny moments none of us are aware of, but suddenly in our hearts everything shifts because something shifted somewhere else. And the beautiful consciousness of he didn't need to do anything at all. Sometimes we receive an insight, we receive an inspiration of how we think we should fulfill our master's mission and we just start, you know, like moving and doing so many things. But here we have Lahir Mahashaya with a, you know, divine mission. And what does he do? Absolutely nothing. He just goes within and keep increasing his desire for God and his attunement with his guru, trusting that his guru indeed will do the job and will bring to him, to his center, whatever he will need to fulfill the mission, to train disciples, to spread the message of Kriya Yoga. I mean, all that, <laughs> our lives have been changed, are being changed daily, just because Lahiri Mahashaya sat, sat there <laughs> and meditated and prayed that what Babaji asked of him could be fulfilled daily in tiny things by his attitude, his acceptance, his love for God, his willingness to embrace and fulfill each one of his responsibilities. That was his greatness. He didn't have to change absolutely anything he was already doing. He was just spiritualizing every area of his life. And I feel that's really, really powerful and a lifetime lesson for each one of us that sometimes the only thing we have to do to change our destiny, our karma, our creativity, our love for God is just sit and go within. I attune and attune your consciousness with your guru. And from that place, you can create a mission. You can create a movement. You can create absolutely anything. And it's just, I love the life of Lahiri Mahashaya. It's just like somehow, as you were saying the other day, this year, he's teaching me so much and how in simplicity lies everything. And even in our own simplicity to love God. I mean, it's just, we don't have to just, you know, it's just, it's so simple, so childlike, so powerful that it indeed can change the world. The English office superintendent was one of the first to notice a strange transcendental change in his employee, whom he endearing, endearingly called Ecstatic Babu. <laughs> Sir, you seem sad. What is the trouble? Lahiri Mahashaya made this sympathetic inquiry one morning to his employer. Uh, my wife in England is critically ill. 
I am torn by anxiety. I shall get you some word from her. Lehri Mahashaya left the room and sat for a short time in a secluded spot. On his return, he smiled consolingly. Your wife is improving. She is now writing you a letter. The omniscient yogi quoted some parts of the missive. Ecstatic Babu, I already know that you are no ordinary man. Yet I am unable to believe that at will you can banish time and space. The promised letter finally arrived. The astounded superintendent found that it contained not only the good news of his wife's recovery, but also the same phrases which weeks earlier Lahiri Mahashaya had repeated. The wife came to India some months later. She visited the office where Lahiri Mahashaya was quietly sitting at his desk. The woman approached him reverentially. Sir, she said, it was your form haloed in glorious light that I beheld months ago by my sick bed in London. After that moment, I was completely healed. Soon after, I was able to undertake the long ocean voyage to India. Sweet little stories. <laughs> you know, just so powerful to see these happen. And sometimes you can start to feel <laughs> How come we're not seeing these hallowed forms of Lairi Mahashaya? <laughs> like, I was sick a few weeks ago. <laughs> Nothing seemed to change in me. But I guess <laughs> we have to get, get there on our own. Some of us, you know, we've been given the keys to the kingdom of God, as Master would call it. And so we have to open the door on our own now. I was thinking last night that if God, Yogananda said that God can be manifested in eight specific aspects, and those of them are, please help me if I forget any of them, wisdom, power, sound, peace, calmness, joy, love, love and light. And I was thinking, if each one of our masters is a manifestation of God. I was thinking, Lahir Mahashaya, for some reason, seems to use light a lot to heal people, to come into his disciples' visions in their meditations. Uh, Master himself, Yogananda himself, had a vision of Lahir Mahashaya in the form of light, Ishwara. And when he was a little child, he was healed through Lahiri Mahashaya from that light emanating, emanating from him. And I was thinking it could be fun for us to meditate on Lahiri Mahashaya as light and see what, what comes to us. If we can somehow tune into his consciousness as light itself as a manifestation of God that he embodied and use it quite a lot. We know that Yogananda was a manifestation perhaps of power mm. and wisdom, like Sri Yuteshwar, of course. But I think that here in Mahashaya, there is something about light that we could explore in a deeper way. Just like it seems a lot of light around him, a consciousness of light. Indeed. 
Can somebody just speed up the fan a little? I'm just warm. I will do it. <laughs> Sweating here. <clears throat> Thank you. Day after day, one or two devotees besought the sublime guru for Kriya initiation. In addition to these spiritual duties and to those of his business and family life, the great master took an enthusiastic interest in education. He organized many study groups and played an active part in the growth of a large high school in the Bengali Tola section of Banaras. His regular discourses on the scriptures came to be called his Gita Assembly, eagerly attended by many truth seekers. This is another, um, I think, kind of common theme throughout our lineage. Except for Babaji, maybe I think he's got <laughs> larger things going on perhaps. But Lahiri Mahashaya are very interested in education. Swami Sri Yuktesh were only taking disciples when they're very young and essentially watching them grow all throughout in his ashram. He seldom took too many disciples that were old already, already formed too much in their own habit patterns and their own perspectives of the world. And then Master, of course, the first thing he does after his graduation, after taking his uh, Swami vows, is to open a school. And when he goes to America, in fact, when Master established his headquarters in Mount Washington, for those of you who've, who know of that place, he in fact started that as well, with the intention it would be a school. He wanted it to be a yoga school for children, before in fact even for adults. But then he realized, I think, America may not be ready to send their children to, a, to an Indian Swami just yet. And so he reoriented, so let's get the parents first. But uh, education is such an important aspect of all these. And of course, all spiritual paths, as we see, they take that very seriously. If we can somehow introduce early on into the consciousness of children, not so much which God it is and how to pray to them and so on and so forth, but just to remind them of that innate power that they have in, them, in themselves. Because I remember my own childhood, just a lot of confusion always abounds, just waiting to be eventually let in on some secret of, you know, the adults, you're just waiting like, I think the adults know, but they're not quite telling me yet. So when I'm older, maybe they'll let me in. And the older you get, you start to realize they don't know much either. And it would be nice <laughs> if we at least had some keys, some little seeds that said, huh, all right, even if I don't believe or understand fully any of this, but if I know that inside me there's a power far greater than anybody has ever told me before, then everything else is going to work itself out just beautifully. I like this first line of this paragraph. Day after day, one or two devotees could come to him to receive a Kriya initiation or to receive the teachings or to learn to meditate. And I was thinking, wow, sometimes we are so focused on quantity. You know, the more people we attract to this path, the better, the quicker we can fulfill our Guru's mission, and the more we can spread the message of Kriya Yoga. And let's have a weekend retreat where we can just give Kriya Yoga left and right, and let's just as many people as possible. And, and you can see that what really builds 
a company, an organization, uh, a work, a family that keeps a family strongly united and committed. It's just that one or two devotee who is deeply grounded, who understands the teachings, who has the commitment and determination to practice faithfully what he believes in. I have seen a last chapter and this one that the quality of disciples that Lahiri Mahashaya had uh, were quite was quite remarkable. I mean, I mean, we, I don't know if you remember one woman who, you know, gave birth nine times because the eight times before he just lost her child for eight times. Can't you imagine psychologically, you know, emotionally what that could mean for a mother? But she wasn't just a mother, she was a disciple. And, and to go through that karma eight times and still knowing that his guru is working with her, that she's learning a very important lesson, that she's growing spiritually, that she's developing even a deeper trust and faith in God and the divine. I mean, that's remarkable. We go through just very tiny obstacles and you know, we are just so like crying and just like, you know, in bed for three weeks because we don't know how to face this. But, but here we get a picture of the kind of quality that Lahiri Mahashaya was working with. And it wasn't about quantity. It was that one, two, three disciples who came day after day, sat for the whole night to practice their Kriya, their Mahamudras, to absorb the Guru's vibration, and then in the morning, they went back to their works, to their families, to their children. That created the movement and the mission of Kriya Yoga in the world. So it's fascinating for many of us to just check what we are doing and what we should be concentrating on rather than be influenced by how the world is today and what is demanding from us and pushing us and always, you know, our energies get so scattered, thinking that we have to reach out to so many people. But if those people don't develop the commitment and they don't have the depth, it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. And this applies to your meditation as well. It's not about how long you meditate. It's about the depth of your meditation. So if you can meditate for five minutes, and those five minutes, your consciousness is united with God, uh, believe me, that's already a very successful meditation. But if you sat there for, sit there for one hour and your mind is wondering, what's the point to meditate? So I would say for this paragraph, very, very important. Check, scan your spiritual life. Are you focusing on quantity or are you focusing on the depth and quality of your actions, your love for God, your practices, uh, your kindness?
By these manifold activities, Lahiri Mahashaya sought to answer the common challenge. After performing one's business and social duties, where is the time for devotional meditation? The harmoniously balanced life of the great householder Guru became the silent inspiration of thousands of questioning hearts. Earning only a modest salary, thrifty, unostentatious, accessible to all, the master carried on naturally and happily in the path of worldly life. I like that, the path of worldly life. Mm. You know, Lahiri Mahasaya created a path that was just the natural path of worldly life. Nothing unnecessarily added here. All of us just get excited about the, oh, you know, what all will we do when we're on the spiritual path and look to the lives of, naturally, all these great saints who've done a lot on an outward level, having to let this go and let that go and the tapasya of sitting, you know, in a cave for these many years. Well, the real tapasya is sitting right here. This is tapasya. This is the real tapasya to just go about our daily lives. Enjoy. That's the hardest thing to do. To go about everything that we do in God, that's the hardest thing to do. And that's what Lahiri Mahashaya showed us. Everything can be done if it's done with God. And nothing, absolutely nothing, has to be any different. Though ensconced in the seat of the Supreme One, Lahiri Mahashaya showed reverence to all men, irrespective of their differing merits. When his devotees saluted him, he bowed in turn to them. With a childlike humility, the master often touched the feet of others, but seldom allowed them to pay him a similar honor, even though such obeisance toward the guru is an ancient oriental custom. A significant feature of Lahiri Mahashaya's life was his gift of Kriya initiation to those of every faith. Not Hindus only, but Muslims and Christians were among his foremost disciples. Monists and dualists, and those of all faiths or of no established faith, were impartially received and instructed by the Universal Guru. One of his highly advanced chelas was Abdul Ghafur Khan, a Mohammedan. It shows great courage on the part of Lahiri Mahashaya that, Although a high caste Brahmin, he tried his utmost to dissolve the rigid caste bigotry of his time. Now we have to remember that this is 1840 something, I guess, by this time, or 50 something. So this is a very, very, very different time from what we experience now. Everything still exists, you know, these differentiations and this highs and lows. But we've made, you know, we've washed over it a little bit. We've made it subtler. We, we hide it with the politically correct ways of saying certain things. But back in his time, it was, it was really rigid. It was well established. You can't touch this person. You can't be in this person's presence. He can't eat when he's around you. So on and so forth. And the faiths were just very strongly separated. Oh, this is of that faith. This is of this faith. The two shall never meet. And Larry Mahashaya right there again, in the simplicity of his practice, of his being, just doesn't matter 
who says what these faiths are anyway? Today I am a Hindu in my next incarnation, God only knows what I am going to be. Today I am a man in my next incarnation, God only knows what I am going to be. How identified can we get with this tiny little moment? <laughs> and so strongly we, God, this is it and this is only it. And Lahiri Mahashaya just seeing everybody's probably incarnations and saying, ah, come, the time is ready for you, it doesn't matter who you are on the surface. Those from every walk of life found shelter under the Master's omnipresent wings. Like all God-inspired prophets, Lahiri Mahashaya gave new hope to the outcasts and downtrodden of society. But his hope wasn't like, oh, let me uplift you, let me educate you, let me give you more money. His hope was, let me empower you. That you feel for yourself who you are. And then you'll never feel downtrodden. No matter what the world tells you, no matter which caste you're born into, no matter what you know, financial status of your family is, let me empower you, let me give you something that's real and true, that won't be washed away by lifetimes, won't be washed away by circumstance, won't be changed when your perspective or your circumstance or your condition changes. That's what it means to uplift society, give them something real and eternal. Always remember, this is Lahiri Mahasaya's words, that you belong to no one and no one belongs to you. Reflect that someday you will suddenly have to leave everything in this world. So make the acquaintanceship of God now. Prepare yourself for the coming astral journey of death by daily riding in the balloon of God perception. Through delusion, you are perceiving yourself as a bundle of flesh and bones, which at best is a nest of troubles. At best, <laughs> at the highest level of your flesh and bones, it's a nest of troubles. Imagine what it is in its worst. Meditate unceasingly that you may quickly behold yourself as the infinite essence, free from every form of misery. Cease being a prisoner of the body. Using the secret key of Kriya, learn to escape into spirit. And this is just such a universal, this is it. If this is what you want, this is what you could have. And nothing else matters except your commitment, your sincerity. And nothing else matters to us except our commitment and sincerity. And everything is dependent on that. Are we going to continue to perceive ourselves as a bundle of flesh and bones? That's fine too. But at best, you get a nest of troubles. So if that's what you're looking for, please continue by all means. And the rest of the world, most of the world, they're still very interested in the bundles of flesh and bones. And so that's no problem at all. But for those of us who really are asking for something more, Lahiri Mahashaya was not much to mince words. He says, well, then do more. Then experience more. Daily, go and see yourself as that spirit. If not, then I really don't have much for you. There's nothing else I can give you. I'm not here to, you know, sugarcoat this process. I'm not here to give you deep philosophies that might, you know, uh, inspire your intellect and make you feel, ah, oh, wonderful. No, this is something I have for you. If you want to use it, please go ahead. If not, that's also all right.
The great guru encouraged his various students to adhere to the good traditional discipline of their own faith, stressing the all-inclusive nature of Kriya as a practical technique of liberation, Lahiri Mahashaya then gave his chelas liberty to express their lives in conformance with environment and upbringing. Which is also a very sweet thing. But you see, Lahiri Mahashaya hadn't yet mm, kind of fleshed out the path as much as, say, for example, Paramahansa Yogananda did. Um, and he didn't flesh out the path at that time because those people who were seeking what he had were naturally in that stage, in that era, um, very religious people. They already had a deep relationship with God in a, in a form-based reality. But back then, if you were a religious individual, you already had a lot of discipline in your life. You couldn't be a Hindu and just say, I'm a Hindu and I'm just, you know, sitting here and oh, now I have Kriya, all right, so I'm going to start meditating now. If you were at that time, if you identified, chances are you were waking up early, you're doing all your pujas, you're going to the temple, you're offering charity to people. I mean, if you said that this is my faith, then that was your faith. Today, when we say this is my faith, that's just like more of a you know, I generally identify with this large group of people who more or less I dislike. You know, it's just, it's a very <laughs> loose term. But back then it was not a loose term. And so Lehri Mahashaya recognized, if there's already discipline in your lives, then all you have to do is add Kriya to that discipline. And that's good enough. But as the ages changed and as form began to disintegrate a little bit and discipline began, began to be lost, Kali Yuga that way was a very disciplined time because it was all about form. It was all about this time you have to wake up, this time you have to do this, this particular ritual, this particular mantra, so on and so forth, which is what kept people at least strongly in that vibration to that particular at for that particular time. But now it's different. And so the later teachings had to include that discipline. So for all of us today, we have to include a discipline that's far greater than what otherwise you and I would naturally choose to do. This is this time, these are the techniques we do. After the meditation is over, that doesn't mean everything's done. We still have to hold our thoughts at the point between the eyebrows. We're still constantly looking to see how we can serve people, so on and so forth, so that that discipline always remains. That's the key aspect of being a disciple, to accept discipline. Is that a good place to stop? We can stop there. All right. Or, or the next, or the um, next paragraph, paragraph works with the one. Yeah. A Muslim should perform, this is again Lahiri Masha's words, a Muslim should perform his namaz worship four times daily. The master pointed out, four times daily a Hindu should sit in meditation. A Christian should go down on his knees four times daily, praying to God and then reading the Bible. So you can see the word four times daily <laughs> as being part of the discipline that each of us perhaps should be then now looking mm. to four times daily we should do something that yeah. puts us in attunement and in connection for us perhaps there could be a nice new it's challenge to start thinking about not yet perhaps yeah. to put into practice if we're not ready but four times to find time to sit down and do our kriyas or at least do our meditation do our energization exercises do mm -hmm. something four times daily. It's a nice little breaking the entire day up. A little morning, a little noon, a little evening, and then night. 
before going to bed so that at each moment of transition especially of the sun as it shifts as consciousness shifts during these four phases of the day each time we begin or at least end those transitions with god contact i was thinking also perhaps to reinforce something that we can start implementing in our approach also to the path when there is a sentence here that says lahiri mahashaya carried on naturally and happily <laughs> in the path of the worldly life and i think these two words are key for bringing more relaxation and joy into everything we do so i would like for each one of us especially this week to identify those moments uh, in our approach to our gurubhais to our spiritual practices when we pray when we share when we communicate when we speak about our own experiences where when we go about with our daily life are we natural in what we are doing or are we pretending are we imposing on ourselves something that doesn't come natural are we performing our activities happily joyfully meaning without complaining even mentally are we judging or are we doing it happily joyfully naturally freely and that's how lahiri mahashaya went about day after day after day he had the knowing of god yet he did everything naturally there wasn't a big fuss about his self realization and he did everything joyfully happily so i would say this is something i want to bring more of at least more consciously into my daily life is this is this coming i'm performing this naturally am i relaxed enough so that can be emanated as well from every cell of my being and to make sure i'm doing everything whatever that might be whatever needs to be done whatever i feel my guru is asking of me from me whether i like it or not am i doing it happily joyfully and i think that's how we can really measure the success on the spiritual path if every day we are growing in joy in happiness in ever more embracing of everything that god sends to us so to be natural at ease at ease and happy happily performing everything